Good afternoon. This is Rich Nass, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media and leader of the Embedded and IoT franchises, here for this week's installment of the Embedded Insiders. As you likely know, I am one half of the Embedded Insiders with Brandon Lewis, who makes up the other half. Brandon is our technology editor. Hello, Brandon. Hi. How you doing, Rich? I am doing just fine. Uh, the weather has finally, well, I was going to say finally warmed up, but um, we had spring on March 17th. And then we went back to winter, and we went right into summer. It is now 87 degrees here in New Jersey, so there was so you can kiss spring goodbye. Um, I'm, 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 guess, I'm, 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 I'm guessing you can. Um, you're familiar with that being in Phoenix. Yes, we don't have spring or fall. I don't. <laughs> you don't have winter either, do you? Uh, well, I, okay. I, I shouldn't say we don't have spring or fall. I should say that we don't have winter. We only have what you would consider fall, and then summer. Got it. Yeah. Well, you definitely have summer. I've experienced that. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, I wanted to pick your brain on some – okay, before I, I start that, uh, who are we brought to you by? We are brought to you by the Trusted Computing Group. Learn how to secure the insecure on the Internet of Things by visiting www.trustedcomputinggroup.org. Okay. That's actually an excellent segue because I wanted to ask you about uh, a security issue that I – um, heard about recently um, something about Russian attacks on on routers. Did did you happen to see anything about that? Um, I have not. I've been spending a lot of time watching the Diamondbacks, where the best record in baseball. So maybe I should stop watching that or watching that so much and pay attention to Russian Russian attacks. Yeah, that might be a good idea. That might be a good idea because your Diamondbacks might be far less significant if these Russian attacks are what I think they are. But um, um, rather than just see if we can figure out what this means, why don't we bring in a guest who's actually uh, more familiar with it? Is that okay with you? Yeah, it sounds great. Okay. Uh, I'd like to invite Steve Hanna, who is the um, senior principal at Infineon, and he's also the co-chair of the Embedded Systems Group at the Trusted Computing Group. Hello, Steve. Hi, Rich. Hi, Brandon. Hey, how you doing? Hey, are, are you able to enlighten us on this issue that um, we've been talking about, about this, about this attack? Yes, happy to do so. So uh, this attack has gotten a good deal of press in the last few weeks. Uh, uh, in fact, the White House uh, put out an alert on it. Uh, so apparently the Russians have been uh, scanning and hacking uh, routers, uh, home routers, but also uh, enterprise routers as well. Uh, in order to gain control of them. And uh, then I think it's really the uh, follow-on uh, activities that are most uh, of concern. You know, hack the routers, yes, but then it's what they do next that's the real problem. So is that how Trump got elected? <laughs> <laughs> no comment on that. <laughs> it's always the Russians. It's always. <laughs> Well, but actually, that's one of the interesting things about this, Jason, or Brandon. Um, it's not just the Russians. Um, if we look at history, we see that hacking routers is something, well, almost everybody has done. Uh, we had news last year of some CIA toolkits called Cherry Blossom for attacking routers. Of course, Snowden, a few years ago, revealed this whole catalog of supposed NSA tools like Banana Glee, um, and uh, then just in the last few weeks, we've seen Dasan, 
routers getting hacked. There's been the slingshot attacks. It seems like every week it's a new kind of router attack. Is hacking a router any different than hacking a baby cam, for example? I mean, isn't just an IP address? Yeah. So there are some differences and some similarities. One of the similarities is <laughs> if you leave the default password there, it's probably going to get hacked. <laughs> but one of the differences is the impact. If somebody hacks your baby cam, well, they can watch your baby or maybe talk to it if it's bidirectional. Um, but if they hack your router, it really gets them into your network and it lets them hijack devices that are connected to your network. Because of the way DHCP and DNS work, you inherently trust your router. We don't think about that, but not just with public Wi-Fi. Sure, we might think about the risks there, somebody eavesdropping, um, but even with private networks like an enterprise Wi-Fi or a home Wi-Fi, same thing can happen. Your machine can end up getting redirected to the wrong website and downloading some uh, code that uh, installs a keyboard, uh, uh, a keystroke recorder, or some other sort of malware on your device. Or on top of that, um, anymore, if somebody compromises your router and takes control of everything in your network, we've heard a lot about lately uh, people creating these botnets that are targeting traffic, you know, at certain servers or you know certain companies uh, to for in. in yeah, sorry, in distributed denial of service attacks. Like Mirai, absolutely. For sure. And the latest trend is, uh, well, of course, ransomware, but cryptocurrency mining. Uh, they'll install code on your machine that uses your laptop or maybe your refrigerator to mine cryptocurrency and send it to them. That's so what's the, what's the solution here, Steve? Well, we need to lock down the routers better, that's for sure. Uh, number one, they shouldn't have default passwords. Each one needs to have a unique password. Uh, number two, a lot of the router manufacturers have been looking to up their game in terms of defense, um, and that's some of the stuff we've been working on in TCG for the last few years uh, to provide some guidance about how to do that, how to better secure routers. And since routers are since routers are you know relatively inexpensive um, at TCG, you know we know a lot about what you guys do from a TPM standpoint. Um, are you suggesting more that people use a hardware TPM or a software TPM? What are what are your recommendations? Well, that's one of the great things about the TPM. You know that you can go either way depending on the price point. Now uh, it really depends on uh, what level of security you need to have. The hardware TPM, you know, that could be in the ballpark of a dollar. Uh, the software TPM, you're just talking about adding some more code there. And there's even what they call a so-called firmware TPM. It often runs in a trusted execution environment um, if you have one available. Um, and uh, that can provide a sort of intermediate grade of uh, security. But regardless of what kind of TPM it is, um, you're getting the same functionality out of it, just different levels of security. Is it still really, uh, you know, there, I think a lot, a lot of times with security, um, it's viewed as complex because it's sort of esoteric. Um, so we've seen a lot of people, for example, when, uh, you know, the ARM trust zone, 
first came out, a lot of people were scared away from it because it, you know, it dealt with what was perceived as very complex, you know, uh, memory schemes. Um, is TCG and uh, and their work with the TPM uh, helping to sort of either ease that, or is it more of an education issue on you know what's really involved with developing these systems? Well, there's no question that when TPM first came out, it was definitely esoteric. Uh, but that's been more than a dozen years now, and there's been a lot of work done to make it really easy to use, to integrate it in with operating systems. So the drivers and the supporting software come built in with Windows. They come built in with Linux. Um, it's part of the standard distributions. So that definitely helps. One of the things TCG has been doing recently is to create these guidance documents, which, uh, you know, you can Google like TCG guidance for securing network equipment or securing IoT or whatever. Um, this basically walks you through step by step. If you want to set up a secure communication session and use the TPM to secure the public-private key pair, here's how to do that. If you want to use it for encrypting your hard drive or other storage, Here's how to do that and so on and so forth down like the top 10 uh, use cases that people typically want uh, for whatever application is described in that guidance document. Uh, we're trying to, trying to help people out here, make it a little easier, uh, lower hurdle. And that actually is a nice segue for a little plug. Um, we uh, at Embedded Computing Design and the Trusted Computing Group are going to be at Sensors Expo in late June. Um, and at, at the uh, Sensors Expo, the Trusted Computing Group is putting on a little bit of a workshop. Are you going to be there, Steve? Yes, I am. Looking forward to it. Do you know yet what you're going to talk about? Yep, yep. I'm going to be talking about uh, TPM and how to use it in embedded systems, uh, what are the big hurdles that people deal with, and how we can help them uh, get over those hurdles. Very good. So um, if you're interested in more information about the uh, Trusted Computing Group workshop at Sensors Expo, visit www.sensorsexpo.com, or more information is available on the Trusted Computing Group website. Very good, Brandon. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. That was Steve Hanna, he is a senior principal at Infineon and also the co-chair of the Embedded Systems Group at the Trusted Computing Group. The really deep voice was Brandon Lewis, technology editor for Embedded, Com Embedded Computing Design, and I am Rich Nass. Have a great day, everybody. You too, Rich. I'm off to go continue mining Bitcoin using your router. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. <laughs>